Welcome, everyone, to a special Jacumba Brothers edition of the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jacumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And today I'm joined by my special co-host for the day, my younger brother, Anthony Chikumba. That's right, folks. Twice the Chikumbas, just in time for Pride Month. Yes, I am Stephen's younger brother, Anthony Chikumba. My pronouns are also he, him, and his. Let's do this. Let's light this candle. <laughs> Let's go. So this is episode nine, and we really do have a great guest for you today. That's right. Today we are interviewing uh, Matt Lano. Um, in addition to being a proud member of the LGBTQ community, he is a talented professional long distance runner. He's also a, a, a talented running coach. As a matter of fact, he is my running coach. So we are super, super excited to have him uh, with us today. So Anthony, just, just so that folks understand what's going on, why the hell are you here? That's that's a wonderful question. So yeah, your your loyal listeners probably are wondering why why am I here, particularly uh, on your first episode of Pride Month. Well, I'm here for two reasons. First off, I am the self-appointed, and that's the key thing, self-appointed executive producer of the Parent Advocate Podcast. And second off, I told Stephen that he had to let me guest host to help interview today's guest, my you know my running coach Matt Lano. So so uh, so let's let's talk about that. Let's like dissect that a bit. What does it mean to be a self-appointed executive producer? Well, basically what that means is that Stephen and Lizette do all the hard work and I just chime in with criticism. I just give them my notes basically. And oh, by the way, I take credit for anything that anyone actually likes. So it's a win-win for me. (laughs) And so we're clear. Anthony is no stranger to media, like none whatsoever. I, I, I frequently brag about my brother all the time because he's always on TV. So Anthony, Give us a a little bio of yourself. Yeah, look, you're correct, Stephen. This is not my first rodeo. Okay, so so to make a long story short, uh, I am an equity research analyst. I work for a boutique investment bank that's headquartered in Chicago. As part of my job, I do occasional television appearances. I've been doing them for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be on CNBC later today. Typically, you know, one of my something happens with one of my stocks and. You know, they'll want a talking head, you know, someone who is allegedly an expert to come in and, and, and give their two cents. So, like I said, been doing this for years. A few years ago, one of the stocks that I had covered for many, many years started skyrocketing in price. I mean, just like nothing anyone had ever seen, quite frankly. Um, and for reasons that made absolutely positively no sense to me whatsoever. Well, this stock, I mean, it just captured the national attention. And, and as part of that, you know, I, like I always did, would get calls. Hey, Anthony, what's going on with this stock? So I went on TV a number of times talking about it and, um, and just basically saying, yeah, this, is, this don't make no sense. This is going to end really, really badly. Um, at one point, I said, you know, sell the stock first, you know, ask questions later, which just blew everyone's mind. Everybody got angry about. Anyway, I basically became inexplicably, even though I was just doing my job and, you know, and, 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 and talking my truth and what I had learned from many, many years of doing this business, the villain. It was just really unbelievable. So there is now a cottage industry in Anthony Chacumba hateration. Okay, and what I'm when I say a cottage industry, I'm talking about Anthony Chacumba threads on social media, Reddit in particular, Anthony Chacumba memes. Lots of Anthony Jacumba memes, Anthony Jacumba conspiracy theories. I even made the Urban Dictionary, okay? Look up Jacumba in the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, that's me. Uh, in addition to that, I've appeared, I've done Wall Street Journal podcasts. Uh, I've done other podcasts. 
I've done multiple episodes of a very popular YouTube show. Uh, I was actually in a book about the whole meme stock craze. Um, and later this year, um, my voice will be in a major motion picture called Dumb Money. It's basically about one of these specific meme stocks. And it's, it's starring a bunch of A-list actors um, and actresses, Seth Rogen, Pete Davidson, Shailene Woodley, Paul Dano. Now, am I, am I going to be in the red carpet? I don't know. We'll have to see. Have I got a SAG card? I'm looking into it. I may get some representation. But anyway, yeah, long way of saying not my first rodeo. So, so what you're saying is that we may both have some IMDb profiles. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. So the, the difference is like you were in a uh, a very important uh, documentary, uh, the dads. You know that that was at uh, uh, South by Southwest. My voice is going to be featured for a very short period of time in a movie about something really dumb that happened in the stock market. So, so they're very similar, only different, only different. Only, only different. So we don't want to talk to you and about you this whole opening segment. We actually have a full show. So remind me not to give you the mic again and, and welcome everyone <laughs> once again to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Let's get started. Wow. I had no idea you were a fellow hater. Okay. Okay. I see how you roll. That's cool. Whatever. So Anthony, given the fact that you've been a huge supporter and proponent of the Parent Advocate Podcast, I would love to hear about your journey to allyship. And I think the best word to describe my allyship is I'm a work in progress. There's no question about that. I, I, I wish I could say I was further along. I'm pretty far along, but I'm a work in progress. Honestly, Stephen, I, one of your first episodes, I think it, it might've been the second or third episode, you talked about how you used to be homophobic, how you used to be transphobic, how you used to be misogynistic. And honestly, that so resonated with me because I feel like I used to be the same exact way. I could relate to a lot of the things that you were talking about when you said that. So why do you think you felt that way? What, what was it about that particular podcast that, that pulled that out of you? You know, Stephen, honestly, I, I look back in terms of my journey and my development, and a lot of it just had to do with ignorance. I mean, specifically, I just didn't know really anything about the LGBTQ community. And in some ways, when you don't know things about people, like, you know, you, you can assume the worst, particularly if, you know, that's the way, you know, people are, it's being described in the media or, 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 or that's just kind of the general culture. And so I really kind of put myself into that camp in a lot of ways. It's interesting you should say that because I would never have thought that about you. I, I would have always thought you were a very liberal, open-minded kind of person, but what made you really start to challenge your beliefs? Well, the funny thing is I, 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 I always have been a pretty liberal person. I guess I just wasn't as liberal um, as, as I thought I was. And, 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 you know, honestly, Stephen, I really wish I could say that there was just this, you know, I just had this epiphany because you know, because I challenged myself or I went on like maybe like a, 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 a darkness retreat like Aaron Rodgers or whatever, like, but it isn't even about that. It, it was about a girl. It was about a girl. Okay. And this is like convoluted and it's <laughs> twisted, but just, just stick with me on it. Okay. Stick with me on it. So basically, okay. So it was, I don't remember, it's either my freshman or sophomore year of college. And, 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 you know, you and I went to the same college and basically I'm, I had met this 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 girl named Maria and we became like sort of fast friends um 
And I definitely had a crush on her pretty much from the get-go, but I was 100% in the friend zone, 100% in the friend zone. Anyway, Maria was straight, but she lived in a special camp uh, housing on campus that included a large number of members of the LGBTQ community. Um, we hung out a lot, like I said, and and it's not like I was like constantly like, oh yeah, you know, you know, this slur, that sort. Of, but but I, but I was I was pretty open about the fact about my homophobic, you know, beliefs. Um, I mean, you know, I didn't really see any reason, quite frankly, to, to hide them. And and by the way, like just so we're clear, nobody gets it twisted. We're we're talking like late '80s, early '90s. Now that it excuses it, I'm just saying a bit of a different time than than than, than where we are right now. Anyway, so one day we were talking. And Maria told me about an outing that her dorm was hosting where they were going to go to a gay bar. And she encouraged me to come because she thought it'd be really helpful for me to gain a better understanding of the LGBTQ community. And I decided to go. And once again, I got to keep it real. Didn't go because I was like, oh, yeah, this will be a great opportunity for me to like open my mind. I was just like, OK, I'm going to press this girl, you know, by, by being like, all right, yeah, I'll show you how open minded I am. But anyway, I remember it so vividly. I almost remember it like it was yesterday because I went to this gay bar with this group of people and it was literally one of the first times I was around a lot of, you know, gay people who were out, you know, because I, you know, looking back in retrospect, I'm sure there's other people, gay people I knew, but I didn't know because they weren't out, high school, whatever, whatever. And I was just like, wow, like these people are no different from me. Like, they don't look different from me. They don't act different from me. They don't talk different from me that, you know, they're here, they're having a good time. Like, what, what was I so afraid of? Why did I think that, you know, like, what, like maybe these people are gonna have horns on their heads or tails or something? Like, it was, I just realized that it was ridiculous. Like, the, like the, the way that I felt had just been ridiculous. And it was, and it was born out of ignorance. And, and ever since then, it just, it really was this epiphany. It really was a 180 degree change. Now, look, like I said, I'm a work in progress, right? Like, I'm not going to say, oh, I, I never, you know, slip up or, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, I really don't for the most part, but I'm just saying, like, I know that this is an evolution and I know I have further to go, particularly in terms of, okay, it's one thing to accept, you know, the LGBTQ community, but it's another thing to be an ally. And I think that that's where I really want to get to, to not just be accepting, but to be a true ally. It's something that Lisette always says, um, proximity breeds closeness. And so when you have people that you were typically kind of estranged from, or you didn't interact with, and you didn't have any experience with, you didn't have any friends or friends that you knew who were of these other communities, you can't build that bond with them. You can't have empathy for them. You can't have compassion for them because you don't really understand anything about them to start having those feelings, to start aligning yourself, to see how relatable you are. Like you went out to the club and suddenly you're like, these people are just regular people just like me. Who would have thunk? Um, but it's it's interesting because you said that you you you've had this epiphany, you're on this, this kind of this evolution. What does that evolution look like for you today? Yeah, yeah. Well, before I answer that, I mean, see, Stephen, this is why I love this podcast. This is why I love this podcast. You are so great in just boiling things down, right? In simple terms that people can understand. Like what you just said is what I think a lot of people need to hear and a lot of people need to think about a hundred percent. But you know, look, in terms of what my allyship means today, so so there, I would say there's like two main ways that I you know, that that my uh, my current allyship, right? There's two main methods of that. One is political involvement, and the other thing is what I refer to as micro canceling. Okay, so in terms of political involvement, 
I have zero interest in both sides in this. I am not both sides in shit, okay? Can I curse on this? Can I curse on this? Do we, do, is this, can, can we, can I curse? This I curse? is an explicit podcast. It's got the E rating. So we drop okay. all of the F bombs, the M bombs, the S bombs. You can drop all the bombs here. Okay, well, that's good to fucking know. I'm not both sides in this shit. The Democratic Party supports the LGBTQIA plus community. The Republican Party demonizes it. And that's facts, okay? That's facts. The Republicans continue to get worse and worse, whether it's anti-trans legislation, whether it's the grooming bullshit. I mean, it just, it's, it's unbelievable. And you guys talk about this a lot on your show. And once again, facts, okay? So I support Democratic candidates in two ways. One, I make donations to specific candidates, and two, I get involved with specific uh, campaigns. So I was particularly active during the 2020 presidential elections in a number of governor and Senate races. I also was very active during the 2022 uh, midterms. Primarily what I do is what's called text banking. So it's similar to phone banking, right, where you call, you know, where people get on the phone, you call, you know, you call people and say, hey, you know, you should support so-and-so. It's all done through text messages. Uh, it's actually much more efficient through text messages. And, and let's let's face it, like, you know, people are just are used to getting text messages. So that's one thing that I do. Um, and, and as I said, I do make uh, donations. And look, I know that not everyone, uh, you know, can have the financial resources that I do to, you know, to make the occasional donation to this candidate, that candidate, this campaign, that campaign, or even maybe the time, you know, to do things like uh, phone banking or text banking or knocking on doors. I get that, okay? You know, do what you can, but at a minimum, vote, right? Because voting, you know, it really does make a difference. And it's the only thing, quite frankly, is going to save us because these Republicans, I mean, they're never going to just somehow magically find their better angels. They're just not built that way, quite frankly. The other thing that I do is what I refer to as micro-canceling. That's a term I think I made up, but I might be making up the fact that I made it up. I I'm not sure. Not really important, neither here nor there. Basically, what that means to me is I try to do everything I reasonably can to avoid supporting people and companies that are actively harmful to the LGBTQ community. Awesome. For example, I used to be a huge Dave Chappelle fan. I loved the Dave Chappelle show. You I watched both. it when it was going on. I used to watch, you know, the clips on you on YouTube, the whole not the whole nine yards. I watched his comedy specials. I mean, heck for Halloween one year, I, I was Dave Chappelle as R. Kelly. So problematic on two different levels, looking back in retrospect. But anyway, neither here nor there. But then he started actively and consistently demonizing the trans community. And he did it over and over and over again. And I even remember the first special where he, where he talked about this trans friend that he had. And I just thought like, oh, that was kind of funny. And he wasn't just going all in on this person. But then it just got worse and worse and worse. So you know what I did? I micro-canceled him. I micro-canceled him. I will not watch any of his of his YouTube videos. I will not certainly not watch any of his comedy specials. I'll never go to a Dave Chappelle concert. Like, you know what? I, I, I don't need Dave Chappelle in my life. Another example I will give you is Elon Musk. OK, and we don't even have to get into how problematic he is. I think, you know, we all know this and it's becoming more and more clear. There is a hundred percent chance that my next car will be electric. There is a zero percent chance it will be a Tesla. Zero percent chance because buying a Tesla will be supporting Elon Musk. And I have no interest in doing that. I've also never been on Twitter 
But if I was on Twitter, I would have canceled my account and I'll certainly never go on Twitter. And I'm just loving, loving, loving seeing him, you know, basically burn Twitter to the ground uh, and, and lose the $44 billion that he foolishly spent on it. So that's that's what I do. Micro canceling. Look, it works for me. I'm not saying it works for everyone, but but, you know, th- th- that's what my allyship looks like right now. Wow. Wow. First, I love the whole concept of micro canceling. Like literally, if you have not like trademarked that, I suggest you head directly to the USPTO and do that because I, I I do not suspect that anyone is doing that. And I just loved how you articulated what it is, because if we can't donate to a campaign, if we can't phone bank or canvas, if we can't do any of those things as it relates to getting people that we need in office elected or getting people that we don't want in office kicked out, then we can do other things like making sure that we're not using our money to support organizations, institutions, and individuals that do not support their community, because that's that's the least we can do. And I can tell you right now, Dave Chappelle, that is part of my inner clique. Like the people that I came up with in the entertainment industry, you know, most deaf, Dave Chappelle, like there's just people that were part of the clique, Rich Medina, just there's so many names that I could give you that are all like incestuously in bed with Dave Chappelle. But ever since that special, ever since I realized what an absolute butthole he is, I can't support him. And yes, he's a funny, talented comedian. He's a black man. And so I'm always trying to support our own. But when our own guy goes like so left of center and starts doing the thing that he says the the trans community is doing, punching down, Yo, you could miss me with all that bullshit. So I love your 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 spirit, your energy. I love your story and how you came to your own sense of being an ally. Um, but enough about you. Let's get to this interview, okay? Wait, are we? Are, we, are you sure we we don't want to talk more about me? Are you sure about that? I'm positive we do not want to talk more about you. I didn't make you today's guest. We made Matt today's guest. All right, you are a co-host. Get over yourself. Fair enough. Um, Listen, I am so excited for our guest today. Uh, Matt Lano is a professional distance runner. Uh, Matt grew up in in Maryland, where he led his high school cross-country team to two state championships. Uh, Matt attended the University of Richmond, where he uh, earned several All-American accolades in cross-country track. Uh, After graduating college, Matt turned professional. Uh, He primarily focuses on the marathon distance of 26.2 miles. Uh, Matt has personal best of two hours, 11 minutes, and 14 seconds for the marathon, which is blazing fast. He also has a a half marathon best of 61 minutes and 47 seconds. That was actually one, that's one of the fastest half marathons that's ever been run uh, by uh, an American. Uh, He represented uh, Team USA at the uh, World Half Marathon Championships. He placed sixth in the 2016 U.S. Olympic Trials, and he's a two-time USATF National Marathon Championship uh, runner-up. Matt also uh, founded Find Your Fast Coaching. Uh, It's an online uh, coaching service for athletes of all ages and ability levels, including me. Uh, Matt currently lives and trains in Flagstaff, Arizona with his partner, Brandon, and their two dogs, Arlo, and I believe this is pronounced Pico. So everyone, let's please welcome Matt Lano to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So welcome to our show, Matt. I am so pleased you can join us today. Yeah. Thank you guys both for having me. This is going to be a fun episode. hundred percent. So Matt, let's start with your, what I'm going to refer to as your origin story, specifically when and how did you start running and when did you realize that you could actually 
make a career out of it. Oh man, it goes back a long time. I mean, I think uh, originally I, I got into running in elementary school. There was an after-school program where you could, um, you know, my parents both worked, and so I stayed after school. And you could you could uh, be part of this program where. Uh, for every, I think it was every mile you ran or every lap that was probably some arbitrary distance. I don't remember what it was at the time, you know, now, but um, you got these little charms that you could put on your shoelaces. And, you know, there was just a little kind of fun activity that I did when I was, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old, something like that. Um, and then I didn't really, didn't really lean into it until, until high school. Um, I was a soccer player. I was a swimmer. I was, I played basketball. I played baseball. I did all these other things. Uh, and in high school, I started to kind of strip away those layers and just see, you know, what I was going to really lean into. And um, it, it kind of became soccer mostly until my sophomore year, I think. Um, I just, you know, I joined a travel soccer team. It was super, super competitive. I wasn't, you know, I can say this now, I wasn't very good at soccer, I don't think. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. I had a lot of, you know, all my friends did it. My brother did it. So I think I I was involved in it because that was kind of what my community at the time was doing, um, but I didn't really enjoy it. And I had a running coach that I just adored uh, in high school. And, and um, my, so it became my junior year. I decided to switch over just completely to running, uh, gave up soccer in the fall. I joined the cross country team. I was afraid of getting cut that first year, but I was told, you know, as long as you don't walk, you won't get cut. Um, and then fast forward, we won, you know, the state championship, uh, Matt Centrowitz, as you mentioned in the intro, um, was my teammate that year. He and I both switched from soccer to cross country that fall. Um, so we won the state title. We went on to do great things, um, at the high school level. Uh, and then it was really probably my senior year. Um, I didn't know running was a thing that you could continue doing. I didn't know you could do it in college. I didn't know you could do it after college. Certainly didn't know you could make a living doing it. Um, you know, this was, this was pre Twitter. This was pre Instagram. This was, you know, almost, you know, I remember dial up internet, you know, there's all these things that just, you know, there wasn't as much access to this information as there is now. And so, um, I wasn't, I wasn't getting track and field news. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting those paper magazines that people, uh, talk about now as, you know, having re reliving in their past, but, um, yeah, so it, so it just wasn't even on my radar, um, but it was kind of one of those things I just, uh, I kept wanting to be better. I kept wanting to, you know, set a new personal best in the mile, set a new personal best in the two mile. Uh, and then when I got to college, it became the 5K and the 10K. Um, and I kind of just kept chipping away. I just kind of kept doing it. Um, and I think in some ways I was fortunate uh, where I went to school at University of Richmond I had a coach, two coaches who both ran professionally back in the eighties and nineties for new balance. Um, so once I got there and that wasn't part of my decision because I didn't know that, you know, when I was making a decision to go to Richmond, but, um, you know, it became a conversation, maybe my, my junior year of college where, uh, my coaches were both saying, you know, you're, you're having success at this. Have you thought about continue to continuing to pursue it? you know, when you're done with school, when you're done with Richmond, what are you going to do? Um, and I had not really given it that much thought. You know, I think I meandered through college, um, kind of starting out on a pre-med track. I wanted to be a vet and then I wanted to be, you know, some kind of a doctor. And I think 
looking back on it now, I think that was just because these are these ideas that get instilled in you as a kid of like, what, what, what does success mean? Um, and you hear, Oh, it's successful to be a doctor, go be a doctor. Um, and so I think that's kind of how I started out. And I realized pretty quickly, I wasn't enjoying it. Uh, I wanted to find something else. I wanted to find a different path. Um, and eventually that became running. And so, um, my, my senior year, I had, I had some good races. I had some good successes. And I said, you know what? Um, probably not going to be able to run forever. You know, a body is only going to hold up for so long to do it at that, at that elite level. And so I said, let me give it a try. And if I do it for a couple of years and maybe I make the Olympic trials, maybe I make an Olympic team, maybe I don't. Um, but at least I'll know that I've, that I've given it a chance and I've given it my, I've given it my all. And here we are now, uh, gosh, 12 years later, and I'm still doing it, um, which is awesome. I, I feel very fortunate to be able to say that. Um, and, uh, I certainly never thought, you know, when I started running in elementary school, that this is the path that it would have taken me on. Wow. That is quite the origin story, Matt, you're an out professional athlete and you have been for some time. Can you share your coming out story and, and what the initial reaction was from your family and friends and your colleagues? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if it still lives online somewhere, but I, uh, back in 2013, um, I wrote a blog post again, this was kind of, you know, before people were super active in in other social media, but, um, you know, this, it might've been, it's still in the era of like heavily filtered Instagram posts of like, you know, a meal that nobody wants to see ever. But, um, you know, that was, that was just kind of a reflection of where it was at the time. But I wrote a blog post in 2013, you know, it was something that I had been um, kind of mulling over for a while, uh, this idea of coming out kind of publicly um, in a time where just nobody was. Um, there were a few athletes in other sports, um, but most of them just weren't competing anymore. Most of them weren't active. There was uh, Jason Collins in the NBA. There was Robbie Rogers in, um, in soccer. There was Tom Daly in diving. Um, but really that was, that was kind of it. You know, there just weren't people talking about their stories. I think there was this notion of, you know, athletes as being very much this other entity that was, um, that was kind of put on a pedestal in some ways that was very like other to, to most people. Um, and I had this idea for a long time of, um, you know, hiding this part of myself or, or just not acknowledging it as maybe uh, in a selfish way was like holding me back um, from performing at a level that I wanted to perform at. Um, and then second to that was also that, um, you know, I would see these athletes in other sports and, and see people being able to have these icons to look up to and, you know, thinking for myself, I didn't have that. I didn't have somebody in running that I could, that I could see myself in. I didn't have, um, somebody to look up to. So I, I wanted to, um, become the person that I probably needed when I was a kid that I didn't know, um, that I didn't even know that I needed at the time, but, you know, having grown up feeling like I, I couldn't see myself reflected in, you know, on, on a bigger stage, um, in my world of athletics and sports, um, I kind of wanted to become that. And I, and I felt, a I felt a sort of responsibility to do that. 
Um, so in 2013, um, you know, I was having, again, having success in running, um, and I working with my coach at the time, uh, we kind of decided to start trying to tell my story a little bit. Um, that started with a blog post. I was terrified of writing it. I, I shook when I wrote it. Um, it brought up emotions that I didn't even really know I was hiding. Um, and, but I think it was really cathartic for me, you know, for that reason. And um, I can still remember uh, the day that I posted it, I was, I was going to be traveling to a race that weekend. Um, and I, you know, a lot of our travel from Flagstaff is driving to Phoenix, getting on a plane, you know, going wherever. And so I remember kind of getting in the car about to go on this two hour drive and then get on a flight to, I think I was going to Bend, Oregon. Um, so I was going to be, you know, probably, I don't know, six or seven hours where I could either be glued to my phone and be reading every single thing that I could absorb. Um, or I could just turn my phone off and just deal with it later. Uh, and I chose the latter. So I, I hit post on the blog, um, got in the car, you know, drove to Phoenix, got on the flight, got to bend. Um, and I didn't turn my phone on until the next day because I was, I was that terrified of what the reaction was going to be. And then, you know, being in Bend, feeling like, and, and, and this is, I mean, I'm knowing now that I, I'm kind of living in my own little world here, like really probably nobody cared, but um, I believed that it was everything, you know, it was, everyone was going to be paying attention to it. Everyone was going to be thinking about it um, because it, and it did, it got thousands of thousands of views in a short period of time. And um, it got published on Let's Run and on message boards and all this stuff. And it was just, um, it was overwhelming in a lot of ways. And I, and I felt like at that race, I had, you know, everyone was looking at me, but it probably had nothing to do with that. It was just, you know, again, living my own little world. But um, I, I would say the responses were overwhelmingly positive. Um, I did get, gosh, I don't even know, probably hundreds of messages over, you know, the weeks and months that followed of people, you know, reaching out saying uh, they appreciated me telling my story. They told me bits of their story. Um, we connected on just, you know, a lot of different things, a lot of different levels. Um, and I felt very grateful to have that experience and to share that experience with people. Um, and of course, with, with the positive, there's always the negative. And I tried to, and I think I did a good job of not focusing on that and kind of pushing that to the side and not letting the few negative reactions overpower, you know, the support that I had. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's a real part of anyone's journey is, you know, you're going to have tons of support, but you're also going to lose friendships. You're going to lose, you know, people that you thought you were very close to um, just by acknowledging this part of yourself and, and telling a little piece of your story. Um, and that still, that still gets to me now. Um, it still makes me emotional when I think about friendships that I lost and, and people that, um, that I thought I was close to that, I, that I'm not anymore. And, you know, it seems like it had to do with that timeline, but, um, you know, I can't dwell on that. I've just got to focus on the positive, just got to focus on the support. And I think, um, fortunately there was a lot of that in the running community. I think I feel fortunate that, you know, of any sport, um, that I could have chosen to be part of. I think being part of the running community was really special in that, um, you know, it's, it's not as 
like macho of a sport per se. Like, you know, and I feel like if I was still in soccer or still, you know, playing baseball or one of those other sports, and this is stereotyping a little bit, but, you know, I feel like I, I probably would have had a different experience or, or I might've, you know, never really shared my story while I was competing. Um, so I'm glad in a way that, uh, running, I felt so much more comfortable to be able to, to share that. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, that's really important. You know, I I think people don't recognize that sometimes coming out and sharing your truth is the hardest thing to do. And one of the fears, one of the reasons that people are so reticent to do it is because they end up losing family and friends and community and the network that they had because they have chosen to be vulnerable and they've gotten the absolute wrong response. So kudos to you for being brave enough to come out and, and shame on all those people who kind of turned away from you because you did, because they're losing out. A hundred percent. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. So Matt, um, you know, I think that segues really nicely into the question that I had, because when I first asked you to come on to the parent advocate podcast, I think it's fair to say that you're a little bit hesitant and largely you were hesitant because you don't necessarily, or you didn't necessarily consider yourself an advocate the LGBTQ community in the same way some of the previous guests were, right? Like we had Nicole Maines or Stephen had Nicole Maines' dad on, you know, he, I mean, he, you know, literally argued before the Supreme Court, right? He's become this huge advocate, as has his daughter, who was, you know, just on the last episode. But one of the reasons I specifically wanted you to to have you on the show is to provide an example for younger members of the community that you can be an out gay person and be a highly accomplished athlete, as well as live live a happy and fulfilling life. Like, do you ever think of yourself as a role model and and, and why or why not? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you bring that up. I think, um, yeah, just in full disclosure, I, I was hesitant, not because I didn't want to have a conversation, not because I didn't want to be part of this, because I think you guys are doing really important work, but um, I didn't feel like I had anything to, you know, advance the conversation. I I didn't feel somebody worthy of interviewing, to be frank. And I I credit you, Anthony, for kind of helping change my perspective on that and, and just making me think about it in a way that I really hadn't before, or at least in a way that I maybe had lost sight of, um, because I think, you know, originally, when I made the decision to come out publicly, part of the reason was to be the person, as I say, like be the person that I needed when I was younger. And I think over the years, I've shied away from that a little bit more. Um, and I've kind of turned back into myself a little bit, um, feeling like I don't have that much to offer. Um, especially, you know, and this is, this is going a little bit on a, on a side tangent, but you know, I, in the last couple of years, I, my, I've, I've struggled with my performance a little bit. And so I feel like when I'm not, you know, at the top, at the level that I want to be at, you know, I, I don't have as much to offer as a person, which is so such flawed thinking that, you know, I, I tie my, my self-worth to my performance, but I think that's more common, you know, in, in professional sports than you might realize, but, you know, I credit you again to making me realize that, you know, just because I'm not necessarily on, on the front lines as an activist for the LGBT community, um, that, you know, just visibility is important. Um, you know, and, and I, and I, uh, I like the way that you put it, you know, in your intro as you're a work in progress. And I, and I think we can all relate to that. I think we're all a work in progress. Um, I certainly feel that way. You know, there's things that I think I've done well over the years of just, especially that visibility piece at times, you know, being more visible, um, but at times feeling really, um, 
inadequate and, and feeling like I haven't done enough. Um, I think that there, you know, years ago I had this idea of, of potentially starting a race and, and somebody has since done it and done a very good job with it. Nikki Hiltz, Pride 5k credit to them for, you know, really doing amazing work, um, in this space. But, uh, I had that idea in maybe 2013, 2014. And, and I thought, you know, no, one's going to want to run a race, you know, with just because I say it's, you know, for, for, for pride month or, you know, or for national coming out day or any of these things. And I think, again, that's kind of flawed logic. And I, and I just didn't see past my own little bubble of, of how much good that could have done because I, I just had these internalized feelings of, you know, lack of worthiness, but yeah. So again, um, credit to you for, for making me think about the visibility piece of it. Um, and I, and I, uh, through listening to your podcast over the last, you know, two, two months, I think since Anthony brought it to my attention, um, it's making me realize I, I have a lot of work to do still, and there's still a lot of ways that I can continue to get involved and, and be more of an activist. Um, and so that's work that I want to do and that you guys are, are helping me to realize that I want to do. So thank you. You said something. No, thank you. You said something that I think is really important. Um, and, and it's that visibility piece. Like you being an out athlete is doing something. It may not seem like a lot, but it is incredibly brave. And it shows at least one person who sees you that there is a possibility model out there for them to do and be who they want to do and be without having to hide who they are. Now, unfortunately, it's still fairly rare for professional athletes to come out. Like you kind of gave me like two or three, I'm, I'm thinking Megan Rapino. I'm thinking um, Billy Jean, like th there's, there's a couple of athletes that many of us know, but it's not a lot. And in popular sports like baseball and basketball and football, there's even fewer. So what do you think as a professional athlete needs to happen for more professional athletes to feel comfortable that they can live and perform as our authentic selves? That's a good question. You know, I think, I think, a, you know, through having discussions with other athletes, I think a big thing holding a lot of people back is the sense of vulnerability, I think that you have to have with with sharing this part of yourself. And I think a lot of people see that as a weakness. I, I, I think there's still this overwhelming perception that being vulnerable is being weak. Um, and people don't want to show that people don't want to see um they don't want other people to see, perceive them as having like a crack in the armor. They, they want to be this, you know, uh, idea of, you know, a Titan in sport. And, um, and I can understand that. And I can respect that if it's going to be something that affects their self-confidence, their, their self-worth. And then you get on a starting line, you get on a, on a baseball field, on a soccer pitch, whatever it might be. If you're not feeling a hundred percent confident in who you are and, and how you present, um, your performance is probably going to suffer. And I think a lot of people struggle with figuring out the balance there of the performance piece of it and the human component. Um, but I think if you can really embrace that human side that, you know, we're all just people trying to, trying to get through life, trying to do our thing and everybody struggles with different things and everybody is, is working through their own stuff. I think if you realize that, uh, even the people that, that you think are, you know, don't have a care in the world. What, what could you possibly be upset about? What could you possibly, you know, struggle with? They're going through something. We might not know what it is now, or we might not ever know, but it's something. And so 
I think if we can embrace that human component of it and realize that we're all just people, you know, finding our path, I think that normalizes it a lot. Um, and that's kind of what I've realized is, you know, I'm not weaker for sharing my story. Um, I found a lot, I've, I have found a lot more community in sharing my story than I have isolation. And I think there are times that I've, that I've felt that isolation a little bit. Um, and I think it's just from, you know, growing up stifling this part of yourself for so long, you put up walls and they're hard to knock down. And so I have certainly felt that, but I think, you know, when I really lean into embrace that community element, um, that's when I'm happiest. And that's when I run the best and that's when I perform the best. So uh, yeah, I, I can understand people who, who don't want to share it. Um, and, and sometimes too, it's, um, it's brand partnerships, you know, it's, it's sponsorships that, you know, people can lose over, you know, sharing what some people consider a political belief, which is a wild notion that being human is being political, but, but that's the truth. I mean, I had a brand partnership in the past that I approached years ago and I said, Hey, can we do, I want to do something for pride. I, I want to create an apparel line. I want to have, you know, just a couple little things. And you see a lot of brands do this. I know you're an Adidas guy. I know an Adidas has, has, you know, tons of pride apparel. Uh, I'm an Under Armour guy. I'm sponsored by Under Armour. They have a whole pride line. I'm wearing one of them right now. United we win. That's kind of their campaign. <laughs> I see your Adidas. But uh, I was with a brand who I said, let's do this. Let's create a line. Um, initially, they were like, yeah, let's let's do it. And then it was kind of crickets for a while. And I and I went back and I said, you know, can we do this? I have some ideas. And they're like, you know what? We really can't take a stance on the on that. Um, it's too political. We can't take a stance on that issue. And I was like, man, that is disheartening. Bullshit. That's what it is. It is. And, you know, credit to them now they've come a long way. And, and I don't know if that was just one person whose beliefs were affecting that. Um, But, you know, I think now they, they might have some pride apparel and it's, you know, it's a little bit of a different story for them now, but this is, this is almost 10 years later, you know, and there's, I think there's a lot of examples of that. There's, you know, a, a major publication in running that in 20, 14 or something wanted to tell my story and they ended up squashing it because they said people aren't ready for this. And I was just like, this is so crazy to me. Like I'm just a human being, you know, pursuing running. And this is a small part of my story. Like, why can't we, why can't we tell this, you know? And so again, I think things are, are shifting in a better direction, but I think we're seeing this now a lot in the trans community. We're seeing a whole new fight that this, that wasn't, even on a lot of people's mind, most people's minds, I would say 10 years ago. Um, I'm glad that it's being brought to the table now. I'm glad that it's being talked about now. Um, and I still think we have a long way to go in, in all of these realms, but um, it all starts with the conversation. And, and uh, I'm grateful that we're, that we're having those conversations now and that, we, that, that people have platforms to share those. And I, and I think it's, like I said, I, I think it's super important work that we have to be doing and it's uncomfortable and it's hard and it challenges us. And, you know, I to grateful to both of you guys for sharing, you know, your past beliefs and how you've evolved over the years. And I think um, a lot of people can relate to that. So I think I think there's a lot of power in what you guys are doing. So, Matt, there's been a growing discussion, as I'm sure you know, and just sort of alluded to a bit of trans athletes competing against cisgender ones, particularly in female athletics. Now, I definitely have my opinions on this topic. Um, but I would love to get the perspective of professional athletes such as yourself. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, this is, you know, this is a, it's a really 
convoluted issue, I think for a lot of people. And, and I'll be the first one to say, I don't know the answers. I don't know, you know, the best way forward, but I have friends in the trans community that are professional athletes that are competing. And I think, I think it's, yeah, to your, to your point, less of less of an issue in, in male athletics than it is in female athletics. Um, but I would be, you know, a proponent of letting, letting people live their truth and compete with their identity. But I, I certainly can understand both sides of the coin. And, and I, you know, I don't know all the answers. And that's, and that's, and that's a fair, fair point. So, you know, and I'm going to spend a little time talking. I know Stephen doesn't want me to talk. Uh, I feel like I'm Bogart in this whole conversation, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, I, I, I completely agree with you and I, and I agree it's a complicated issue, but here's where it's not complicated. If you're talking about like literally, you know, uh, trans women in particular in grade school, in high school, who just want to play a sport. Like they're not taking a spot away from anyone. They're not, you know, uh, monopolizing all, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the championships, like they just want to play a sport. And it's such an important um, thing. Like I, you know, I played sports growing up, Steven played sports growing up and, you know, just, just, you know, working towards a, a goal, right. Um, the self-discipline, the camaraderie, the friendships. So, you know, but I, I but I, I understand hundred percent what you're saying. I just, I just wanted to interject. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and get my two sets in there. And by the way, I'm peeping, I'm peeping that running shirt. Like I'm, I'm going to have to go out and find one of those because that's, because I love I'll, it. I'll I send you it. one. I'll send you one. Awesome. <laughs> so Matt, um, kind of wrapping up, I, I'm really curious to know what advice would you have for young people who may be, you know, gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, what advice would you have for them in terms of following their dreams or following their passions much in the way that you did? Oh, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. I think the biggest piece of advice, and, and I think the biggest difference that I saw was uh, trying to find your community. I think, you know, finding people that support you, finding people that let you be who you are and, and love who you are, I think is is the biggest, most important thing that you can do. I think, you know, we, we spend a lot of our lives in our own heads and we, you know, when you're growing up and you're, you're trying to hide this part of yourself, like I said, you, you put up walls, you put up barriers, you, you don't allow others in. And I think that that is a really, really hard way to live. And I think by finding your community, finding people around you that love you for who you are, um, you know, going to events and feeling like you can be yourself and, Go to a pride festival and you will find like the most authentic people um, just expressing themselves, like the deepest parts of themselves and just, just having so much joy in that. And I think that there is so much power to be had from being able to feel like you can live that and being able to feel like you can share that with the people around you. Um, I don't think there's anything bigger um, or anything better than that. Uh, so I think that would be, that would be the first thing. And the second thing, you know, maybe just you know, sharing your story with the people around you. And if, if somebody is going to give you crap for that, or somebody is going to, you know, push you away, shun you, um, isolate you, that's not your people. That kind of goes back to point number one, find, you know, find your community. That's not your community. Find the people that let you do that and embrace you in that and love you in that um, and, and lift you up. Um, because that's, you know, that's how we're all going to achieve great things in this life in that shared sense of community. So I think that's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest two things I could share. 
So Matt, we have a, one final question. So um, I'm not even going to go into the story of how uh, I connected with you and how you became my running coach. We'll share that for the next time that you're on uh, the uh, the podcast and I'm guest hosting the next time. Um, but, uh, but you do have a very successful uh, coaching business, Find Your Fast Coaching. Um, just once again, let's talk about me a little bit. You did help me to successfully qualify for the Boston Marathon after four uh, failed attempts. Um, so my fast, my final question, what made you decide to start coaching and how difficult is it you, to you or to juggle your running career, your coaching, and also your personal life? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, to some extent, I've always had like a little bit of this, this coaching mindset. I think when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, I mentioned I was, I was active in swimming and baseball and all those other sports when I was younger. I think when I was 12 or 13, I started um, coaching swimming. Actually, that was, that was kind of my first foray into coaching was I taught swimming lessons for kids that were, you know, five to 17 years old. And I, and I did stroke clinics and, you know, that was kind of my first entry point into coaching, into the coaching world. I did that for, I don't know, eight years, nine years, something like that. And then eventually evolved into running. And initially it was kind of just because I, uh, I was good at running. I thought I had something to share. I thought I had something to teach people. And it also, you know, kind of became a little, a source of income, if I'm being honest, like, you know, when I was first uh, out of college, I, you know, trying to make ends meet in, in running professional running contracts, aren't like professional NBA contracts. You're not making millions of dollars unless you're, you know, the, uh, Elliot Kipchoge of the sport, you know, setting world records and, 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 you know, a runner at that level. But you know, I was scraping things together to be able to pursue this dream. And that was kind of how I first got into it. But then I realized, you know, I have, again, kind of this, this almost responsibility to help people and to share what I've learned from various coaches over the years, what I've learned from making mistakes in my own running, uh, in my own training, and be able to help lead other people. And that has incidentally kind of turned into uh, a lot of the clients that I work with are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, not all of them, but a good chunk of them, um, which is not something that I really intended. But again, I think it goes back to that visibility component. And, um, you know, people would see me run, whatever, the New York City Marathon, the Boston Marathon, whatever it might be. Um, they might look me up in the results afterwards and see, oh, he also has a coaching business that, you know, I would love to have a coach who is also gay. That's just, you know, something that helps connect us on a little bit of a deeper level. And so I I've started to work with a lot of athletes who I share that connection with. And I love it. I think it, I think it really does breathe a, like a deeper sense of connection. And I think when you have a coach athlete partnership that goes beyond just, you know, go do this run or this workout, you know, you know, on this day, every week, if you have these deeper things that connect you, I think it just creates a deeper bond that helps you believe in each other more. And I think that belief is paramount to, you know, breeding success and belief in, yourself and in that partnership and in your coach, um, which just helps you, I think, kind of get more out of yourself on race day. So that's kind of how it all started and, and how it's evolved over the time, over the years. But again, it's just another, maybe in some ways, like a, a way that I hadn't really thought of myself as um, an advocate or an activist, but, uh, you know, just another piece of that visibility component that, you know, I am in, in a small way, kind of giving back to the community and helping to uplift members in this community um, by supporting, you know, their running endeavors. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Matt. You have helped to set Pride Month off on the Parent Advocate podcast just right. 
I love the stories you share with us and 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 all the information about who you are, what you've done, how you've gotten here. So I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. And if you have some more time, we'd love to have you stay on for our, our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, so we can figure out who we're elevating and dragging today. I would love to stay on. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. All right, now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us backwards on the other. Anthony, who are we talking about today? Our ally of the week is Lego. Last week, uh, Lego presented the complete A to Z of awesome, an alphabet of builds created by LGBTQIA plus Lego fans. Each build represents a personal interpretation of a meaningful work from the community. And of course, the haters and the trolls came out from under their grimy rocks to attack Lego and call for a boycott of the brand. But true to their commitment of the community, Lego stuck to their guns and neither removed the posts or gave into the calls from the trolls to change their content. And that is in stark contrast to a couple of other high-profile companies, okay? I'm not trying to throw any shade at them, but one of them rhymes with Gargit and the other one rhymes with Wudweiser, okay? So anyway, Lego showed the way that brands can and should respond whenever um, they experience backlash for uplifting or supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. And that is why Lego is our ally of the week. Okay, congratulations to Lego. And now on to our asshole of the week. This week's asshole of the week has to go to Greg Gutfeld. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Greg Gutfeld, he is a Fox News late night show host who dedicated an entire opening segment to Nancy Armar's take on ESPN host Sam Podder, who Amar called out as a bigot for her transphobic take on trans women in sports. Now, Gutfeld spent 13 minutes of his show's opening engaged in a misogynistic, transphobic, hate-filled rant where he personally attacked Nancy Armar and ridiculed and misgendered trans women. You know, Stephen, I mean, although Fox fired Tucker Carlson, they have no shortage of show hosts who are vying to fill the gap by continuing their assault on marginalized groups. Um, Greg Gutfeld has shown that there's no low to which they are not willing to slither down. And that's why Greg Gutfeld, or as I call him, ghetto Stephen Colbert is our asshole of the week. <laughs> well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guest, Matt Lano, for spending time with us today. And of course, I'd like to thank today's co-host, executive producer, and star in his own right, my younger brother, Anthony Chikumba. Well, thanks, Stephen. You know, I know that I had really big shoes to fill with Lizette uh, not being here, um, but uh, I really do appreciate you sharing your platform with me. And we couldn't do with any of this without you. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And as usual, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. Goodbye, folks. If you are thinking of harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 a year from anywhere in the U.S. It's 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. 
If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQIA people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.